Oh, hell no. Nah. What's up, dog? I'm a computer. Stop all the downloading. Help computer. I don't know much about computers other than other than the one we got in my house. My mom put a couple games on there and I played. GI Joe. <laughs> Hi, and welcome to another episode of Square Waves FM. I'm your host, Bianca. And finally back from uh, a whole bunch of pointless, stupid crap at work is Brian. Hi. So, yes, you get both of us today instead of just me. So I, su I suppose most of you will be happy about that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, I missed you guys. Good to be back. Sorry I haven't been around. Jeez, I'm away for a couple of weeks, and all of a sudden the last episode is about wedding dresses and cooking. <laughs> you really girled it up, didn't you, baby? I didn't girl it up that badly. Wedding dresses and cooking. <laughs> Well, I figured I'd tell the nice, the nice listeners why we weren't here. Because I mean, you were part of that uh, wonderful shenanigans. Okay. Yes, I was embroiled in shenanigans. I suppose. I'm sorry for not being around for the last uh, couple of weeks, guys. I have been super, super busy at work. I was helping to organize this big conference um, that we had been preparing for for about a year. So the last two or three months, I've been super, super busy at work, and particularly so in the last month. Yeah. So I just didn't have time to uh, record these last couple of weeks. Sorry about that. Um, I'll talk about a little bit about this conference, I guess. Um, so as I probably mentioned in the past, I work for a college in their IT department. I'm a communications specialist, so that means that I do like documentation and training, and if a new service is being launched or if there's going to be an outage or something, then I email all the uh, faculty and staff and students. Um, so this conference that I helped to organize was for college IT staff inside my province. They uh, come from all over Ontario and uh, converge on one point and we all chat with each other and we give each other presentations and there's vendors and there's uh, social activities and all that kind of stuff. In the end, it's like a professional development kind of an activity. But uh, it's, it takes a lot of work and a lot of planning. All in all, and there's there, food. Of course, there's food. Um, all in all, there were about 400 or so, 415 people there. So it's a lot of people to bring into one space. Mm -hmm. So I, my, my uh, main areas of helping were with marketing and communications, as well as uh, liaising with all of the vendors who were sponsoring the event. There were about 45 or so companies some of which were much more communicative than others, and so it was a very, very busy uh, project to be on. Plus, I was entrusted with all this other stuff, more than more than anyone else. Which... Yeah, that's what happens when you do a good job. You get more work than you uh, can ha handle, because everyone goes, oh, look, who nice and reliable all of a sudden. Here, take this extra work from me. Well, not to toot my own horn too much, but that is sort of what happened. I did prove myself capable when I volunteered to help with this and that, and then uh, then I was, oh, I hate this word, I was voluntold <laughs> to do all of this other stuff. So in the end, I had much much bigger role than any of my peers, notwithstanding the uh, organizers, um, like in, in, the, in the senior staff. 
Uh, anyway, um, specifically, what I one thing that I did for the conference was that I created a smartphone app, which is pretty neat. Like, I'm not a programmer. I mean, if it's not in, like, Basic or Turbo Pascal or Logo, then I probably cannot program in it. So uh, it was in some kind of build-your-own-app uh, tool. It was like a cloud web-based tool where you can just kind of put in little building blocks to build your own app. It was called uh, Meridian, uh, owned by a networking company called Aruba. So in this uh, app, I had uh, information about the conference. I had like an agenda with a list of all the activities and the times that they occur. I had descriptions of all of the different uh, presentation sessions. There were, I think, like 60 or so presentations going on in a day and a half, which was a lot to coordinate. And uh, I had information about all the sponsors. And very interestingly, um, I had indoor GPS inside of our college campus to get you from location to location. So each of the agenda items had a location associated with it. And it would detect geographically where you were within the campus. And it would say, you are here, and if you want to get to the next thing, you'll turn left, you'll turn right, turn right again, walk forward this far, and you'll be at that Spin location. Spin in a circle and uh, tap your heels three times. Well, thank goodness <laughs> the GPS was reliable enough that there wasn't too much circle spinning. But uh, it was powered by these little Aruba network beacons. They were about the size of, uh, I don't know, they were, like, they were like an inch and a half by an inch and a half, and maybe like an inch tall or half an inch tall so it's sort of like the size of a credit card or a wallet it was about half the size of a credit card in area and then the depth was about half an inch let's say <laughs> so we put and they so we place those in the hallways they have like a signal attenuation of i think 70 feet or so so we place them about 60 feet apart ah uh, so overlap so that there is no uh, loss of uh, information between points exactly and so um it knows where you are generally by which uh, by which network beacon you are in the vicinity of. So it tells you here you are on the map. We sent like a we got a vector map copy of one of our campuses where uh, all of these activities were taking place, and we sent it to their company, and they put it into the app for us. So um, then we placed all of these uh, network beacons around the campus on one of the floors, and then we indicated the location of each of the network beacons on the vector map in the app. So uh, it knows which uh, which network beacon you're close to, which is like 120 uh, meter diameter or so. And then if you have them overlapping, then it can kind of triangulate your position by knowing which two you're close to. And based on the, the speed of your walking and stuff like that, it connects with your phone via Bluetooth. So it's not actually GPS, but it's like Bluetooth radio triangulation. And so you can actually watch your little dot on the map moving along the campus as you walk through the halls, just like a car GPS. And it says, turn left and walk forward 150 feet, turn left, turn right. It was really neat. So that made a splash. I um, Yeah, they had really, he was showing, Brian was showing me the statistics on this. And it was actually quite heavy use for the three days that uh, this app was uh, designed for. Yeah, I was very proud of that. Um, when, you know, I put a lot of effort into a lot of different aspects, but this is the one that I kind of felt spoke for me personally because I was really the only one to work on the app with the exception of the training that I got from Aruba's uh, uh, whatever sales engineer guy. So um, I was very happy with it in the end. The statistics, they have like a reporting engine, and the statistics said that about 200 people 
had installed the app, so that's about two-thirds of the 300, or 400 attendees. 100 of them were uh, vendors, and the other 300 were uh, college IT workers. So about two-thirds of the college IT workers installed the app, and on average, they viewed, I think, 28 pages, which is pretty heavy usage, and it also showed a histogram of how many page views there were per hour in total. So it showed that people were using it consistently across the whole uh, across the whole um, conference, which means that they didn't get frustrated. They didn't install it, get frustrated, and never touch it again. They actually kept referring to it over the course of the conference. So that's very encouraging stuff. Yes, it is, especially since uh, you you were telling me before about your uh, desire to do more user experience stuff. Yes. Yesterday. I um, emailed our CIO just with uh, a summary of these statistics and uh, some screenshots of a couple of uh, <laughs> of a couple of uh, the uh, screens and graphs from the reporting engine, and just saying, I hope this is an example of my proficiency with uh, app design and user experience and stuff like that. And this is a reminder that I've put in a request to increase the scope of my uh, job description and my role. To include toot, user, toot, yeah, toot. user experience design. To 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 the sound of Brian tooting his own horn. I know it's a rare thing, so I really I was on kind of a high after finishing off this incredibly uh, laborious conference and all of those tasks and stuff. So uh, yeah, I figured I'd better take advantage while everyone was in a good mood. So with any luck, um, I'll I'll be adding some UX design uh, aspects to my job description. We shall see whether that gets anywhere, but fingers crossed. Yep, which if he's lucky, he's using in a unionized environment with uh, with uh, you know job description pay based on what you do. Hopefully, he gets a raise. Yeah, I hope so. I really hope so. Um, so otherwise, yeah, conference went very well, and I um, emailed our major sponsors personally just to thank them very much once again for participating and wishing them a. Wishing them well and hope, asking whether it was a valuable activity. And so one of them liked my thank you letter so much that he asked if I could print it on official letterhead and mail it to him so that he could have it framed. Oh, so, that's so awesome. That's really cute. Yeah, that was really nice. And it just so happened he was a graduate of our college as well. And so he was especially proud of that. So that was really nice. And I got lots of praise. So I'm really happy about that. And I gave lots of praise. It felt good. I uh, am jealous of you guys uh, sometimes, those of you who have podcasts who are bragging about your various uh, accomplishments. I guess I'm thinking specifically of when uh, Francisco uh, last year at GDC uh, saw Brian Moriarty speak. And Brian Moriarty said that if anyone were to remake Loom, he would wish it would be very few studios, including Wajidai, he would entrust with that task. And then... When Francisco uh, connected with him verbally afterwards, he told Francisco that he had enjoyed a golden wake, which is really nice. This is a oh, game yeah. designer from going back to the early 80s or mid-80s, so he's a very well-accomplished game designer. Mm -hmm. So Francisco is very proud of himself, and we were all very proud of him as well, of course. Yes, we are. So I'm kind of feeling a little bit like that, where I've accomplished a very big goal. Yes, and I don't blame Brian for feeling like this. He worked really hard on this. He did. It felt very good. At various points, I questioned whether I had done the right thing by volunteering to do all this stuff because my regular job kind of went by the wayside a little bit to make time for this stuff. But in the end, I am very proud. Mm -hmm. And he got entrusted by some uh, really important people in his department. So uh, he's basically the he's the guy he's the go-to guy now, whether he likes it or not. <laughs> a good a go-to guy, but that's a reputation that I want to encourage. So that's good. 
So now, after uh, postponing my vacation, I haven't taken any time off since December now. So at long last, I'm at the beginning of a two-week vacation. Hooray. So I think it feels like vacation now. I've been waking up rested for the first time in a while, which is nice. I've been waking up without having to set my alarm, which is nice. So feeling really good. So, yeah, thanks uh, thanks for putting up with the uh, absence, and thanks for uh, enjoying uh, Bianca's episode last week. I definitely did. I enjoyed listening to that to and from my uh, commute this week. And now I'm all yours again. Hooray. 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 <laughs> all right, what else we got going on? Uh, well, oh yeah, so you had a tantrum about the uh, NVIDIA GeForce experience. I haven't done anything about it. Oh, did I have a tantrum? Why don't you take a look at your task manager to see if you're having the same issue as me? Okay, so that's Control-Shift-Escape. Correct. Let's see what we got according to our task manager. CPU, just sort by CPU. Uh, nothing too bad, really. Okay, you don't have the same issue I did. So uh, the issue that I had, and I encourage you to check this out as well, um, is the uh, NVIDIA GeForce Experience application. That's the application that GeForce, or sorry, that NVIDIA introduced this year, I guess. It's been in beta for a while. It might still be in beta for all I know. Um, and that's like the memory residence Windows application that checks to see whether there's a new version of the uh, of your drivers or anything like that. And it can also be used to stream video, either on a local area network for co-op play or to uh, stream onto a television elsewhere in your house. Or it lets you stream onto Twitch or YouTube or perhaps other uh, streaming services as well. So it's like it's an okay client. It's a competent client. But what I noticed was that it was consuming 15% of my CPU permanently. So even when I wasn't playing a game, when I wasn't touching my computer, everything else was just sitting there. It was constantly using 15% of my CPU, which I don't like because that generates heat and it consumes electricity and it just puts wear and tear on my computer. I could not figure out how to fix that. I disabled all of the streaming services and stuff like that. And it just, I think it was called NVIDIA Streaming Engine or something like that. It just kept using 15% of my CPU constantly. I don't know what was up with that. Yeah, and... I have it. I just checked, and, not, and all of the uh, NVIDIA stuff I have, I saw one thing at like 2%, and the rest of it was all zero. And Bianca and I have the same video card, too. We have different but we have CPUs. different CPUs. You have an Intel. I have, you have AMD. AMD. Yeah, that's right. So I don't know. I, I don't know what that is. I've looked it up on Google, and it's a common, well-known issue, and it seems to be uh, occurring to some people and not others, and it seems to not really matter what kind of a video card you have. So I don't really know. Uh, but I just gave up on it. Um, I'll just, uh, I, I, I often, uh, in my RSS feeds for news, get notifications one way or another when a new driver is being released, so I'll just rely on that, I guess. I don't really care if I have the latest and greatest drivers, I suppose, but if I do buy a brand new game, then I'll look in the coming days to see whether a new driver is released for it, because that's usually what new video drivers address, are the newest games that just came out or are about to come out. Boy, do I wish, uh... We could get a fix for Quantum Break. I don't know if that's a driver issue or what, but that game was so good, and it just suffered from some uh, performance issues. That's I thought also, they already released a patch for that. They've released several patches, but the last time I played it, which was a few weeks ago, I'll try it again on my vacation, but it wasn't really significantly improved, which is a real shame. Uh, so that's okay. I'll keep my eye out for that anyway. Other um, That was a Windows... Uh, I forget what they call it, a Windows uh, cross-platform app that works on Windows tablets as well as on Windows PCs. It's like a Windows uh, Store app. 
So I played other Windows Store apps that had great performance, and some of them actually that have had some trouble. I played um, Killer Instinct, a fighting game. I don't know why that came back out after all these years on uh, on uh, the Xbox and then on Windows, considering it was like a, a real poster child for the Nintendo 64, the Ultra 64 engine, as they called it in the arcade. Uh, but anyway, I tried that on PC. It was like a 30, 40 gigabyte download, something like that. And it had a bug where if you have a uh, if you have a 144 hertz monitor, or if your if your monitor is anything but 60 hertz, then it runs the game way too fast. So at 144 hertz, it ran the game at like two and a half times faster than it was supposed to. So the frame rate was right, but the action wasn't. It was like frame locked or something. So that was kind of frustrating. But then I played. I don't remember what that raising game. Oh, Forza. I played that, and it was, or Forza, I don't know, and that ran very, very nicely, actually. That was beautiful. So Quantum Break, I'm surprised to see a Remedy game not run optimally. They have incredibly talented uh, developers. They've made phenomenally solid engines that have stood the test of time for decades in some cases, or at least a decade. But uh, somehow Quantum Break just did not perform very well, and I expect so much more of Remedy. Regardless, it's an amazing game that I would highly, highly recommend. But uh, the performance is just not as good as I would have liked. I'll play it again regardless. It was such a good game. Um, Alright, what else we have? Oh, yeah! The Big Kahuna! Steam Summer Sale! Oh, boy! It's now live! Yeah. Um, do you want to talk about the games that you bought on the Steam Summer Sale so far? Uh, sure! <laughs> Well, let's see. What did I buy? Well, oh, I bought uh, Forge Quest because uh, Brian liked to get a co-op game. Um, oh, see. what the hell is that? I don't know. You're I had one. you buy that? Yeah. Oh, this is like some kind of top-down RPG? Oh, yeah, it's a little pixelated RPG. Yeah, let's try this. It looks cute. Well, I guess we will try because I had you buy it for somehow. Yeah. All right. Um, I bought uh, New York Mystery, The Secret, Secrets of the Mafia. Mm-hmm. Um, Men of Yoshiwara, Kikioya, and Men of Yoshiwara, Ohigia, Ohigia uh, The Royal Trap, The Confines of the Crown, Stardew Valley, and Panad. Anything you want to talk about? Uh, no, not yet. I just started one, I just started one of the visual novels I bought. Sorry for the typing, I'm just typing in a couple of other things that I bought. Alright, that's it? Yes. That'll do. Okay. Come here, baby bird. Hey there. Mwah. Hey, sweetie. Um, what have I bought? So I bought Forge Quest as well, apparently. It's one of those things where I'm already forgetting the stuff that I bought this sale, but I haven't bought that many. I bought Pony Island, which I played and finished today, and I, uh, I started yesterday, finished today. I loved it. That was a very meta, very funny, clever game that was like half puzzle, half action. That was really good. I highly recommend you guys check out Pony Island. It's three bucks. Um, I, I think listeners of this podcast in particular would find that a really compelling and funny game. Um, I got Punch Club, which is pretty hard. It's like a it's like a personal I don't know simulation uh, time management kind of a game where you have to go around town and train your boxer and keep him healthy and stuff like that and prepare him for fights. Um, and it's got very charming and very attractive pixely graphics. Um, but I found it pretty challenging. I wasn't doing very well at it. I'll uh, get back into it. Um, I bought uh, Call of Duty Black Ops 3, which I didn't particularly give a shit about, and it didn't particularly get good reviews. But 
It is a Call of Duty game that allows you to play the entire campaign in co-op, which is something Bianca and I love doing. Yes. So, uh, silly bird. It's chewing my foot and ruffling under my legs. Good. So we played that for a few hours until we got stuck on something really hard. We'll play that some more. Yeah, I think I know how to get by it. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I'm going to take control of the robot again, and then what you need to do is when I'm in control of it, I need you to... Uh, aim at it while I take out the baddies. That's the problem, is we weren't collaborating on that, because I kept taking control of it. Oh, okay. Yeah, we found that that game didn't seem very well balanced for co-op in general. It uh, was very, very easy in some parts, and it's one of those... It's one... It's the kind of a Call of Duty game where... Well, I guess it's every Call of Duty game since Modern Warfare 4, or Call of Duty 4 Modern Warfare. You stupid bird. Um, meaning that uh, your most powerful weapon by far... Is your knife, your melee weapon... Come here, you... I don't care. Ow. Your melee weapon. You can one-shot basically anyone with your... By, by punching them. So, you can... Or you can ravage their core. Well, I'm getting to that anyway, but... The, the, the strategy that I found most effective so far is just to run and absorb a bunch of bullets into your face, because it doesn't hurt that much. And you, greater. And you punch guys one after the other, and they, they uh, fall like blades of grass. It's very silly. Um, but in this one, you have... It takes place in the future, so you're in this, like, exoskeleton kind of thing with some superpowers. So you can jump... You can, like, double jump, and you can run along walls, and you can climb really tall things, and you can uh, use these special powers. You have, like, one special power button. That's basically like um, role-playing game crowd control skills. You can, like, freeze robots or you can confuse men or stuff like that. Or control, or take control of the robots. Yeah, that's right. It's like being a mesmer in Guild Wars, basically. Exactly. Crowd control stuff. So that's kind of interesting. I think it kind of takes away from the, the game I don't really care about. I, I didn't think any of them were very interesting. Maybe it's for people who play on a higher, harder difficulty than we're on, but I find you don't really need it that much. So, Black Ops 3. Yeah, we got it for 40 bucks. I got it for 40 bucks. Uh, whatever. Um, I bought and have not yet played Serious Sam Double D, uh, Double XL, 2XL, XXL, I don't know, it's a stupid name. It's a, uh, like a 2D side-scrolling RPG sort of a Serious Sam game. I think all the Serious Sam games are on sale, and most of the Serious Sam games are described as a run-backwards shooter. It's like a first-person shooter where you have a zillion enemies, kind of like Doom. A zillion enemies in a great big open arena, and you have to uh, manage the crowds by kind of kiting them around and running backwards and shooting as you dodge obstacles that you can't see because they're behind you. So I'm, I'm anxious to see what this uh, 2D RPG looks like. It's uh, a dollar. It's 90% off, so it's a buck, so why not? And finally, the last one I bought was called Learn Japanese to Survive. Uh, Hiragana... What's it called exactly? Hiragana Battle. So, right now, the only battle I have is getting the thing to run properly. Um, it doesn't seem to like Windows 10 or something like that. You have to run it in, of all things, Windows XP compatibility mode. Otherwise, the sound is really... Uh, it sounds, like, time-stretched and, and, like, with little uh, micro gaps between every millisecond or so of, of audio. So, it's like, it sounds really obnoxious. If you run it in Windows XP mode, then the sound sounds good, but the game is... The frame rate is really choppy. So I might just have to get a refund on it. It looks like a Game Maker engine game, so I'm surprised. Maybe it's an old Game Maker engine game. But it's the the uh, 
concept is that you learn the uh, hiragana alphabet, and then to defeat enemies, you have to learn words in Japanese, and you use them against them or something like that, as I as I vaguely understand it. So whatever, I'll I'll refund it if I can't get it to work. Oh, and we didn't somehow we didn't mention Stardew Valley, or did oh, you? Oh yeah, I didn't. We kind of bought that on a whim. Yeah. Uh, Stardew Valley kind of has a yes, baby. Stardew Valley has a bit of an Animal Crossing vibe to it. Um, I heard it's a described close to the Harvest Moon. Oh yeah, I haven't played many of those. I think it's kind of similar to both of those. Yeah, where you meet the townspeople and you run a farm, and there's a little town you have to solve people's problems and do little quests, fetch quests and stuff, and give people presents to make them like you one by one. Uh, it's it's kind of soothing and it's kind of hard work. It's a game where you have a certain amount of energy per day and a certain number of uh, funds. So there's a lot of resource management, which takes away a little bit from the serenity of it, I find. Whereas Animal Crossing, you kind of, you can do as much as you want to in a day. The only thing that's finite, I guess, is your money. So I'll get back into it. Ugh. Yes, Joey. Is it Joey? Lovely. Thank goodness for, uh, thank goodness for Audacity's compressor to make that quiet. <laughs> So I guess that's all that we bought so far. It's another one of those Steam sales where they do not have flash sales. So those were the sales that um, were for a, a very limited time, just a few hours or for a day or something, and they were super discounted. Um, they don't do that anymore. Now the sale price of any one product is the same. The sale price of any one thing is the same yeah. for the yeah. duration of the two-week sale. So, Steam Sale, go buy some stuff. I'm sure I don't have to tell you guys about it. Uh, yeah, I'm sure we don't. And I'm sure that they probably, that some of these people have already bought stuff as well. I'm sure they have. All right, I guess that's it. Oh, oh uh, yeah, we have to say, by the way, that uh, the Wadjedi games, such as Shard Light and Techno Babylon, those are on sale. So go buy Wadjedi games because they're awesome. Yep. And, oh, and of course, um, we want to know uh, recommendations from you guys. What should we buy? What should the listeners buy? Um, if you tell us some suggestions for games that we may not have heard of, uh, let us know, and we'll uh, read them on next week's show. So, in that spirit, Bianca and I have prepared a list of five games each that's, excuse me, of games that you may not have played that we think you should pick up on the sale. Well, I don't know how... I, I have a feeling that because I've mentioned this one a few times, people might play it, but who knows? Euro Truck Simulator 2. Um, Life is Strange. I know Trolls played it. Why don't you give a little description of these games so people know why they should buy it? Okay. Go back to the Euro first Truck one. Simulator 2. No, you're a truck. <sighs> I hate you. Good. You basically drive a nice, huge truck across Europe. You enjoy the scenery and you deliver cargo. Hooray. But you have to actually, you know, drive the speed limit and not drive like an asshole. So there's a challenge. That's right. And you can manage your own company and all that <laughs> kind of stuff. Your own staff and your own fleet of trucks. Yep, I have uh, a fleet of trucks and a staff and everything. So, yay, me. Me, you. Um, oh, and why do you recognize? Why do you recommend Euro Truck Simulator Two as opposed to American Truck Simulator, mm. the newer one? The newer one's okay. It just—I don't know. It just doesn't feel right. I like the trucks in the in the, in the Euro Truck Simulator Two better. Oh, there aren't a lot of trucks in the American one yet. No, there aren't a lot of trucks, and um, they have that bigger bulbous front, which makes it harder to see, figure out when to stop, and everything. Whereas the, whereas the European ones, you're closer to the, your, your cab doesn't have bulbous front. It's straight flat down. Oh, I never really noticed that issue, to yeah. tell you the truth. But yeah, I guess the 
the European trucks had were kind of snub. Yep. Okay. And so they're easy to drive. It's nicer scenery. And well, <laughs> I don't know what it is, but the drivers piss me off a lot less in Euro Truck Two, Euro Truck Simulator Two, than in the American Truck Simulator. Mm -hmm. Even though the ones in in the ECS Two are really stupid. Oh wow! They have Euro Truck Simulator Two Deluxe Bundle for sixteen dollars and fifty cents Canadian, probably fifteen bucks US or something. That seems to be for everything. That's a good price for. That's everything. an extremely good price. It's really hard to justify American Truck Simulator for the price that it is when this all this content is so cheap. Exactly. And Euro Truck Simulator Two, or it's sorry, Euro Truck Simulator. It's only marginally updated. From your uh, sorry, American Truck Simulator is only marginally updated from Euro Two, but uh, the scenery is very nice. The landscape and the maps are much more interesting. Mm -hmm. they're, they're pretty generic in Euro, in Euro, but uh, the expansions are pretty nice. Yeah, and uh, there's a lot more interesting uh, roadways in the in ETS Two than in in, uh, in MTS. MTS. MTS American Truck Simulator. America. <laughs> yeah, America. America. All right, <laughs> what else you got? Uh, Life is Strange. I recommend this just because it's actually not a bad way of telling a story. Just because you get some, you get that you actually get to break the uh, wall, the fourth wall, and rewind time and take the outcome you want. You get to control. You get a little more control than you normally do, so you can kind of see two outcomes and decide which is the lesser of two evils. So it was an interactive story, kind of an adventure. Game. Yeah. Um, okay. Let's see. Mini Metro, just because it's it can be you can either play it with uh, an actual requirement or you can just play it relaxing. And it has nice music. It's beautiful. What is it? So yes, you're essentially responsible for building uh, subway infrastructure in uh, a city. All you do is construct lines and uh, make sure that your uh, train each train station doesn't become overcrowded. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it's like a minimalist puzzle game. Yeah. It's so pretty. It sure looks serene and it sounds serene, but I found it hectic and stressful myself. Bianca played it a lot, so obviously she loves it. You saw something in it that I didn't. Yeah, I think you didn't give the uh, the the casual mode a good chance because that's the one. That's what made me realize that I could do the other mode. I guess so. I need to develop my skills a little bit. Yeah, that's why you play the ca the casual mode first, and you learn how to uh, manipulate the minds. Oh, I was always playing catch up, I guess. So I found it kind of difficult. I I'll give it another try. Yep, let's see. Down my list, Cook, Serve, Delicious is a restaurant management game where you uh, essentially compose dishes and you buy recipes. But what's interesting is that um, every recipe has uh, certain benefits and drawbacks depending on uh, what you serve it with, where you're serving it, and uh, the time of day that you're serving it for. And you can't repeat recipes because sometimes you get uh, people, uh, you have people who are unsatisfied. But a lot of it's a it's primarily a keyboard game. Although you can use although now it has it has now has um, game controller support. Oh, does it? Yeah. I wonder if they brought it to consoles. I hope so. It was a cute little game. It is a cute game. It might be good with a with a controller because it was hard. It was difficult playing with a keyboard. I mean, it was it's a difficult game. It would it, it would be difficult no matter what you played it with. But the keyboard, I guess, especially has just so many keys and having to press things precisely and quickly. I guess with fewer buttons, it might be a little easier. Okay, and then finally, Sid Meier's Pirates. 
Yeah. You're you, pirate. You mean specifically the 2000 and whatever one, 2005, 2006? When did it come out? Yeah, the uh, not the uh, Let's find the, out. not the uh, that's what the newer one. There's pirates and Sid Meier's pirates. Oh no, they're both Sid Meier's pirates. Well, they're all Sid Meier's pirates, but there's a remake. Uh, the remake is. You stupid bird. Stop going on the floor. I don't care. Don't eat the popcorn. I don't care if we spill it. Don't bite my foot. So the original Sid Meier's Pirates is from 1980. Wow, 1987. That is very early. Very impressive. And the remake. 1990. Uh, oh no, it's not 1994. No, it's 2000 and something. Whatever. It's from the 2000s. Buy it. It's so good. It's so, you so, so good. You pirate a ship, you plunder treasure, you loot, you board ships, you can take over towns, and you marry the governor's data. Make sure you marry the really attractive one. And you're going to have a wife in every port in the Caribbean. Yeah, marry them all. It doesn't matter how attractive they are. They're all good for dancing with and giving you presents and getting kidnapped. But not before the jealous fiancé challenges to a, you to a duel. Yeah, that's right. Those, those poor wives, you really bring misfortune with you wherever you go. Yeah. But that doesn't stop you from marrying them one after the other. Right. <laughs> so that's my recommendation. All right, what do I have? All right, so here's my, my here's my five games that I recommend that you purchase, some things that you may not have played before. Uh, one of them is Mirror's Edge. I played that this week for, I don't know, the fourth time or something like that. That game just stays good as long as you um, you'll, you'll if you play it and you finish it and you'll love it. I promise you will. It's a great game, first person platforming game with uh, a terrific engine by Dice. Um, you'll play it once and you'll do all the problem solving and stuff like that. Um, the next time you play it, you know, give it six months or a year or something, play it again, and you'll be pretty familiar with the puzzles and the stuff that really got you stuck. You'll sort of remember the solutions to those things where you're supposed to jump, where you're supposed to look. Um, and it'll still be fun because the freedom of motion is so much fun in that game. It's a linear, it's a linear, like platform traversal kind of a, uh, parkour sort of a game. Um, so the next time that you play it after that, you can turn off the, uh, hints. So, so like there are hints in the game, whatever you're supposed to hang on to or jump from will glow red. You can optionally turn those off. And if you turn those off, then it brings some of the challenge back, making it re replayable in the future. So that just adds a little bit more challenge, and it's a little bit more rewarding when you figure out what to do. The music is awesome, the graphics are awesome, but most of all, just the levels and the movement are really, really great. And that's the kind of game where you can... It's a first-person game, and it, there are shooting moments in it, but the shooting is optional. If you want, you can play completely passively, where all you do is run away, and that's quite challenging. Or if you get fed up, you just pick up a gun and you shoot all the people, and then uh, you can solve problems without there being any pressure of people coming after you or a time limit or anything like that. Uh, excellent game. Do yourself a favor and skip all the story because it's baloney. It makes no sense. Uh, next on my list, I've talked enough about it, but if you haven't already, I very much encourage you to purchase Her Story. I supposed to what? History? <laughs> It'll be history after you finish Her Story, I guess. But uh, that was a game that's like an FMV game where the primary control scheme is typing words into a search engine to look for words that the uh, person, the woman in the video that you're watching uh, may say. So she'll say, you know, she'll speak in her videos and that gives you ideas of words that you can search for because perhaps she said those words in other videos. 
So it's a very, very unique control scheme. I've never quite seen a game that controls in this fashion before. And it's a very, uh, it's, it's a very ingenious way of taking a, a game based on full motion video and making it, uh, like allowing you to play it in a nonlinear fashion. That's usually the biggest problem with FMV games is the fact that you start at the beginning, you go through the middle and you get to the end. But in this one, you start at the beginning, the middle can happen in like wildly different ways. And then if you stick it out, then you're at the end. Uh, and, and hopefully you understand everything that's been going on. <laughs> so that's a brilliant game with a terrific story and very good acting. Totally recommend it. I think it's two or three bucks. Um, next on my list is Scribblenauts Unlimited. I played this on the Nintendo DS first, which is the first system it came out for. Scribblenauts is a puzzle game based on, um, well, the English language is the language I played it in. I can't imagine it got localized into too many languages because the dictionary is enormous. But it's a game where you have a simple objective, like uh, the mailman needs to deliver mail, give him the stuff that he needs. And so you summon objects into the world by typing into your magic notepad. You write into your magic notepad. You say a word, like you say mailbox. And then a little mailbox spawns into the world, and you can move it wherever you want to. Or you can make you, it a jumping mailbox. Yeah, in, in Scribble Dots Unlimited, they allow you to add adjectives to nouns. So sometimes the puzzle will be... Um, this person is too sad uh, to, to accomplish their goal. And so you click on the person and you add an adjective and you say ecstatic. And then instead of being sad, he's jumping around happy and dancing and stuff like that. So um, the, it's a game where the, the puzzles are very simple and the solutions are very obvious if you allow them to be. The more creative you are with your vocabulary and your ideas, the more fun you will have in the game and the more silly stuff you'll get to see unfold. It's like a simulation, basically, where you introduce a variable and that makes the simulation uh, continue to run autonomously for the most part. Uh, really, really interesting, fun game. I think it's five bucks. There's also Scribblenauts uh, Unmasked, I think it's called, which has like the DC comic book universe. I own it. I don't really care about comics that much, so uh, I'll get around to it. I still haven't finished uh, Scribblenauts after a lot of play. So I really highly recommend it. It's super, super interesting. And it's just ridiculous how many dictionary words were drawn with a little 2D sprite. It's incredible how much effort they put into that dictionary. Um, it also has Steam Workshop uh, support if you want to add some more stuff. I don't know why you would. It's good enough on its own. The game wasn't designed for workshop stuff. True. And fun. I mean, there's already so much content. How? What the heck? Why would you add more content to begin with? And we can't I don't know. They put in like they put in like Nyan Cat and stuff like that. Know. They put in a bunch of you know pop culture references and things like that. I suppose. Whatever. Okay. Next on my list, um, even though I know you guys probably haven't played it because of the audience that you are, the reason I am putting Call of Duty World at War on this list, which is a Call of Duty shooty tooty shooty game. Um, and it's not made by Infinity Ward, who, in my opinion, made the best Call of Duty games and the original Call of Duty games. It's made by Treyarch, who also made uh, Black Ops 3, which lives up to my opinion of Treyarch as being mm -hmm. an okay studio, but not a, um, not a, a, as good a studio as Infinity Ward was. Um, but the reason it's on my list is because it also has a uh, full campaign mode that you can play in co-op. Yep, and it's actually finishable. I know that... If you if you're if you want a, a co-op a, um, a Call of Duty that you can finish, this is it. What do you mean it's actually finishable in the difficulty well, or? It's it's, 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 
it's difficult. It's like a reasonable challenge, but it's balanced enough for single player and multiplayer without being uh, ridiculously OP or ridiculously, uh, you know, impossible. I guess. There are a couple, just like any Call of Duty game, there are a few areas that are sort of imbalanced, like you'll blast your way through and then you'll just get to this one staircase where you die 45 times just because there's infinitely respawning guys and you have to capitalize on there being a momentary lull to walk up to the next bit of cover. Yeah. But anyway, it's a, it's, it's a good enough game. It's, a, it's an okay game that uh, is a lot more fun in co-op. And they have something that they called competitive co-op, where you score points, and then it shows you who, won, who scored the most points at the end, which, you know, you're walking through World War II watching your buddies get their heads blown off and stuff, so the last thing you really care about is how many points you scored. Yeah. Very right. video gamey. And also very video gamey, if you buy this game, I think it's 10 bucks or something, um, turn off the music. It's a World War II game with electro electric guitar music. It's so stupid. It's yeah, I mean, just if you want to have music, put on some uh, music with a good crescendo. Oh, what you mean? I don't know. Hair, leg hair. Come here, bird. Okay, come here, baby. Okay, this is a two-man job. Mm -hmm. I hold it. He tries to take whatever it's in her beak out of her beak. Come here, baby. You're a silly girl. You're a silly baby. Let go. Let go. Good girl. Okay. Sorry, guys. Bird management. All right. Call of Duty World of War. If you've got a buddy to play co-op with, <laughs> it's a good one. Mm -hmm. Finally, the last one on my list um, is a game called Rollers of the Realm. It's just, it isn't a bad game. It's not one of my uh, five choices, but it's definitely a pretty interesting game. I like the concept. Very interesting. It's a pinball RPG. So it's like a story-based pinball RPG. A very, very unique concept. Um, you're... Your uh, players in your party are each a ball, and depending on which player you choose, they have different attributes. Like some balls are big and uh, won't squeeze through little holes, which will be good in some instances and not in others. Um, some balls will destroy or do extra damage to a certain kind of an enemy or to a part of that enemy. Some balls, like an archer, will shoot little arrows out of it, so you don't have to be as precise because it will attack things that are in the vicinity or the proximity. It's very, very clever. It's got a cute little story. It has great art. It's genuinely fun. Um, it's pinball, but there is puzzle solving, so you have to know like which of your guys you want to uh, use in which circumstance. And what's also kind of interesting that gives a little bit of uh, pressure on you is that your uh, pinball flippers are destructible. So you have one of your balls, or maybe two of them, those characters are healers, and by attacking enemies, it heals your flippers a little bit. So to accomplish your goal, you're constantly switching between one or another of your balls to address an immediate uh, puzzle. Very clever idea. Uh, and it's a, and that game was made in Toronto, so I'm proud of them for that. They were oh, yeah, that was a Bento Miso game. That's correct. It is an interesting one. Like I said, it wasn't one of my top favorites, but it's definitely worth trying. If you like pinball, give this one a shot. It's uh, it's worth just playing the first few levels, and then you realize, you know, I could go, you can go on, or you can just go back and play whenever you want. Yeah. So we'll take we will uh, add all these games to the show notes with their links on the Steam store. Um, pretty sure they're all on sale. So now's the time. All right. Why don't we talk about what we played this week, Bianca? What have you played this week? Um, I've played a whole bunch of stuff that I didn't really remember the list. Okay, well, now is the time. 
Okay, of course I played World of Warcraft because it's the uh, Midsummer's Festival and I wanted two of the in-game toys. So I did a bunch of stupid pointless granny crap in that game. I played some Audio Surf 2. Mm-hmm. Um, How do you like Audio Surf 2 versus number one? Um, I like them equally. I uh, don't like the mono mode, but I kind of like the one I've been playing, which is that... Uh, the wake, where you can, if you you just collect blocks, and then you can, if you know how to jump on your music, you can get these incredible combo points. I like the wake more than mono, but I loved mono in the original one. Mono mm. is where you only have like one co- you have you have one co- you have color blocks and gray blocks. The color blocks are always one color, but they change. Okay, I shouldn't say they're always one color, but the co- the color blocks are solid, but they change with the tone of the music. They're not, you know, different colors across the board. Oh yeah, with the intensity of the music. Yeah. Um, yeah, I like mono. Well, I guess I like mono. I don't know. I'm, I guess I'm kind of over that series. Yeah. I do sort of prefer the first one just for its simplicity because there's really only one. Mono is the only game mode I, I liked. I didn't care about the other ones in the sequel. But the sequel has uh, Steam Workshop support. There was some modding for the original game, but it was annoying and difficult installing the mods. And I think you could only have one at a time. So Steam Workshop lets you have different game modes and different graphics and levels and stuff like that, the way that they look. So that's kind of nice. I like the Sonic the Hedgehog one where you're Sonic and you're picking up rings. That looked really nice. Um, what else did I play? I started playing um, uh, Men of Yoshiwara, Kikuya. Kikuya. Um, it's a visual novel. Um, let's just say that I wouldn't recommend it for any of our male listeners. Mm-hmm. Do tell. And that's, of course, you're of that persuasion. Okay, because? It's primarily geared towards female audiences. It's labeled otome, which means that um, essentially it's male characters trying to seduce a female character and uh, how you respond to those. And if you get the good ending, the happy ending, or the bad ending. Oh, yeah. Men don't enjoy games where men seduce women. No, but you play the female protagonist. Oh, you get wooed. Yeah. Oh, that's nice. You get rude and you have to figure out, you know, how to uh, respond properly to him. Oh, are you going to be demure enough? Oh, so is it one of those games where there's a bunch of potential suitors and then there's different endings depending on who you woo? Yeah. Woo! Yeah, and uh, they're basically male courtesans. Ah. And... So they're all throwing themselves at you? Yeah, pretty much. And they're just basically eye candy. That's why I figured you... I didn't know, you know... Your listeners would appreciate uh, the kind of it's that the fact that this is an eye candy game more than anything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm so I'm impressed you meant to keep your mouth shut for the sixty minutes I was playing. Were you playing? What was I doing? You were playing Pony Island. Oh yeah. Well, I'll get to that later on then. Good for me. Unfortunately, I can't play that anymore because it's done. Mm-hmm. What so else did I play? Uh, I don't know. Um, I played a bunch of Big Fish games. Oh, yeah, you did. You, uh, ooh, half off all games. You inspired yourself to play after our casual games episode? Yep, I played some Coffee Rush, um, Kitchen Brigade, My Life Story Adventures, Stando Food. Ah, Stando Food is fun. It's, um, that's a pretty interesting one. You have to, uh, construct food set, you have to construct sandwiches based on people's orders. It's like Sandwich Solitaire. It is. It's Sandwich Solitaire, but it's really fun. Yeah, you have like a finite number of burgers and buns and cheese slices and stuff, and they come out of different tubes, so you have to make 
all the sandwiches kind of in the right order so that you don't get stuck. Yeah, and uh, you can upgrade by buying more plates on which to store your sandwiches. Mm -hmm. That was a good game. It has terrific art. Yeah. It's an old one. Yes, it is, but it's a good one. I like that one. Mm -hmm. I also tried to play Sh Sh Supermarket Mania 2, a.k.a. Super Locust Swarm. What's she eating? Something she shouldn't be. Uh, she was chewing your pants. Okay, keep going. Okay, um, that's about it. That's all I really played. So I played a bunch of casual games, and then I played um, my Steam games. And your Steam games? That narrows it down. <laughs> I meant the ones I mentioned. Oh, your Steam <laughs> sale games. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, me. I don't remember if I talked about this last time, because I played it like three weeks ago now, but it's been a while since we podcasted last. I played Leisure Suit Larry 6. Did I talk about this on the show yet? Probably. But who knows? You played it a whole time. I don't know. Because I played... I think I talked about Leisure Suit Larry 3, which I played a few weeks ago, and then I went on to play number 6, which I remembered not liking so much because of the what I remembered to be mean-spirited humor. But I played it and I finished it, and it wasn't as mean-spirited as I remembered at all. I don't know where I really got that impression. Maybe there's a joke or two that rubbed me the wrong way, but uh, it didn't really bug me this time around. I guess I was also inspired in part by uh, Akago. Hi, Akago. Uh, talking about his mother, who enjoyed those games, uh, recognizing what they are and what the tone is, and that you should just kind of go with it and appreciate it for what it is, which is totally something I can do. Um, if you want to be offended, then uh, Leisure Suit Larry Games will do that for you. But if you don't offend easily, if you can just go with it, then there's a lot to like about those games. So 6 was a good one. Um, and I'm still kind of on a Sierra kick, so I think uh, I'm going to play Police Quest 2 again, because I like that a lot. I really should play Police Quest 3 again, but it has that horrible driving. We'll see if I have the patience for it. I don't remember it being that great of a game anyway, but uh, it's been a long time since I played it. I played that one less than all the other ones, so I think I'll give it a try. Um, as I mentioned, I played Mirror's Edge again, and I played it with all the hints off and stuff. I still play it on the easiest difficulty, because the only thing the difficulty affects is how much damage you take from people that are attacking you, which is not a major aspect of the game, but it's a major source of frustration in the few times it does happen. So that's the way I recommend playing it. I don't, I didn't find it very rewarding to play on the medium difficulty as I usually do. Terrific game. It's five bucks. Go get it. Mirror's Edge. Phenomenal game. Sequel's coming out soon, and it's going to be open world, which I'm a little skeptical about because the linearity of the first one just gives it such a nice pace and flow. I'm sure an open-world Mirror's Edge game just means that there's going to be little icons everywhere. They're going to turn it into an Ubisoft piece of crap. So enjoy a linear game while you can. Uh, I played Pony I Poly Island? No, Pony Island. Okay, I, I thought I, I was about to say, oh, crap, did I call it Pony Island by mistake? No, yeah, no, it is Pony Island. That game was so charming. I uh, didn't know anything about it, really, except that it was supposed to have some sort of like a tongue-in-cheek meta self-referential humor to itself and to video games in general. That's as much as I knew about it, and that's as much as I'm going to tell you about it, because you guys are really going to like that game. I thought it was hilarious, and it's adorable. The whole thing was done in about two hours. Play Pony Island. It was great. I got it for three bucks on sale. So very well worth it. And finally, I've been playing a little bit of World of Warcraft. Uh, I was really inspired to play it again very slowly and to read the story and stuff like that after seeing the movie. 
Um, it's kind of it's kind of uh, fading away from my interest again. It doesn't take too much. I played that game so much. That game needs another expansion. The next expansion is coming out in two months, the end of August. So August thirtieth. Uh, yeah. So uh, I'll play it again in earnest around then. But if I'm subscribed until then, maybe I'll have a little bit more fun with it, or maybe I'll unsubscribe again. I don't know. So that's it, I guess. So. Our topic today is some of our favorite computer applications. Um, so we're, we're, I haven't looked at this list in like two weeks now, so I, I, these are all familiar to me, of course, but I'd like to have made this list a little bit longer. But if we have a short, a short show, then so be it. These are just some applications, new and old, that we found useful or noteworthy over the years. Um, we'd love to hear from you guys some of the software applications that you've enjoyed using over the years. Uh, but we'll just kind of go through our little list here and see where the conversation takes us. So, why is this even on the list? <laughs> well, I'll start us off with WordPad. Did you put that on the list? Yeah. That's interesting. Okay, I always kind of shunned WordPad, but I'd like to hear what you have to say about it. Well, I didn't really know what else to I was like, I wanted something to write with, and I didn't know have any other mediums to write. And so I saw WordPad. I'm like, okay, open it. I'm like, oh, I can type in this. To me, it was a nicer version of, no, of uh, Notepad, so I'm like, yes, rulers, and I can actually change my font. You go ahead. I'm going to load up DOSBox in the mean, while you speak, just yeah. to see if I can learn something from Windows 3.1. Okay. Like, that's all it really was. It was just, it was just an opportunity to uh, write with something when I didn't have other software to do it. Oh, interesting. I thought WordPad was in Windows 3.1. Maybe it didn't come to Windows 95. Yeah, I think it was Windows 95. I'll check out that while you're talking. Okay. Do you have anything else to say about WordPad? What did you use it for? Uh, some, doing some original writing. <laughs> some oh, I don't have Windows 95 installed. Oh, okay. it's just, oh so stupid what I was working, what oh, I was writing. So you used it as a word processor, you mean? Yes. Okay. That's not stupid. Uh, yeah, except the stuff I wrote was stupid. Oh, well, that's not the fault of the application, though. That's your own butt that made stupid sounds. True, but I was, like, 14 at the time. Oh, well, then what the hell are you going to... What are you going to write when you're 14? Something good? I don't think so. True, but it was better than some of the stuff I wrote when I was 17. <laughs> well, anyway, um... What was your experience with WordPad? It just felt useful. It just felt like, ooh, I can... It just felt... I don't know how... Let's see what we were... Hmm. Uh, it just felt like I had this infinite amount of paper that I could just keep writing on. Like I had, I didn't, I didn't know how many pages I had. I felt like there was just this infinite page I could just keep writing on. I can see you. I can see you having a mentality like that because you you so enjoy like paper dictionaries and stuff like that instead of apps. Yeah. You you like paper. You kind of think in paper. Yeah. So WordPad. As I recall, WordPad was kind of like a step up from Notepad. Notepad made like flat text files with uh, just text and no styles, whereas WordPad made RTF files. So Notepad made TXT text files, and WordPad made RTF files, which are rich text files, which meant that you could bold and use bold and italics and fonts and stuff like that. So maybe there's only been two versions of WordPad. There's the Windows 95 version, and I think it was in Windows 8. That they updated WordPad, or maybe it was Windows 10, to have well, the ribbon interface, and it looks really nice, doesn't it? It is really nice. It's, uh, it's what's nice about it is it reminds me of Paint. 
it's a super simplified version of Word, which mm-hmm. is why, and you'll have nothing, it's nothing fancy. It's all the stuff you need if you just want to write and you don't need to worry about documentation styles or formatting or inserting tables or images. Well, yeah. actually, you can insert images, but it's like the very basic essentials for any document. Yeah. Although it has a, an insert objects button. I don't know if that was always there. What does that do? I don't know. Let's see what happens if I click that. Oh, it lets me insert from files. Oh, wow. Neat. So that's like, you can insert a Word. I think you can insert it as an attachment or something. They had like Excel spreadsheets and Word documents yeah. and a bunch of other things in there too. Hmm. So that's kind of neat. So It's which, really which, nice. It's much nicer uh, than I remember. Yeah, well, they may have updated it slightly. Just like uh, Paints. They updated Paints, I think, for uh, Windows 8. Yes, they did. With a ribbon interface, and it's really nice. And they added new brushes and stuff. It's quite nice. Paint was always a fun one to play with, though. That goes all the way back to Windows 3 and maybe yeah, earlier. Yeah, like, take your, take your uh, pencil, make a whole bunch of lines and squiggle, and then uh, get your fill tool and just randomly fill it up. Yep, that's right. We all did that. <laughs> all right. Next on the list is one that I think I introduced you to, but you oh, used yeah. a lot. Mm-hmm. It's called Iconoid. This is a really fun little uh, application. Oh, yeah, Iconoid. <laughs> yeah, right, Iconoid. So Iconoid was an application that uh, remembered the locations of your icons. So it was just a little shareware application. Maybe it was freeware. I never paid for it. I think it um, was freeware. I think it was freeware. And actually, Iconoid, I think it was classified as, as like giftware or something like that, where the author said, send me something fun in the mail, and that's all I ever ask. I don't want money. Um, so Iconoid, I used it because for Windows gaming, I would often change resolution to my screen just because I was playing an older game or because my computer wasn't powerful enough to play some games at the top resolution that my video card could handle or that my monitor could handle. Yep. So, um, when I changed, I, I had icons all over my screen and in certain places, like in the top left, I had system applications and on the bottom middle, I had games and on the top, the bottom right, I had my recycle bin and on the top right, I had like my temporary computer. files mp3s or whatever that i hadn't listened to or classified yet so when i would change resolution and then change back again all my icons would be kind of squished and they would lose their positions and i'd have to drag them back so iconoid would just stay resonant in memory or you could load it on demand actually and there was a save icon locations button and the restore icon locations button and it also if you had if you didn't have snap to grid turned on it could even move your icons to the relative locations based on, like, if you use a different screen resolution. So that was really nice, too. Yeah. And it's called Icon Annoy because it also <laughs> made your icon dance. Yeah, it had the icon dance button, which... I used against my father because he, against <laughs> because I was go- I was about to head out and my dad was unsatisfied with the fact that I had dusted a corner of the bathroom counter. We argued about it. I went home. I fixed it. I went back out, and then later, then when I was back home later on, I uh, turned this. I put this app on its computer, turned turned it on, closed the app, let the icons continue dancing, and walked away from the computer. Okay, so what's icon dance? It basically makes all the icons on your desktop dance in random patterns, so that way you can't really click on one if you want to open it. Well, you can. You just have to be quick. Yeah. So I think it's like one by one, your icons uh, will move one, like one space away. Until over time, like they're all moved all over the place, and they're constantly moving, like one, like twice a second or something, two moves a second. 
You can adjust that too to make it go really fast, and then you really can't click on anything. I think I did that. I did like super icon dance. Well, that'll learn them. Yep. So if you don't know to look for a little icon in your icon tray that will close Iconoid or turn that off, then that can be very annoying. But when you when you stop the icon dance, then it restores the location of all your stuff to where they were. Okay. So it was a harmless little troll. But that was a great little freeware application. We used that a lot for many years. Until, uh, I don't know, until I just started using icons on my desktop a lot less. I just started relying on it less. I, I think it was because of Vista, because search was so good that I didn't need to put so many icons on the Or and we could, and you could pin more stuff to the uh, start bar. Oh, yeah, Windows 7. Or was it Vista? No, it was Windows 7 that let you pin applications to the taskbar. But uh, So it was, either, it was between that and in Vista, the search of your system and of your start menu, that I just started putting icons. I relied less on the icons on my taskbar. Okay. Well, speaking of which, another thing that I, it's not an application, but something that I, since we're on the topic, something that I used to use a lot in Windows, uh, I guess it was in Windows, uh, it must have been Windows XP. It was Windows XP that I started using it. I found this icon pack, which contained, among other things, like one icon per letter of the alphabet. So there was an icon that was just a letter A and an icon that was just a letter B. And it had a few sets of it. It had uppercase and lowercase. And oh, I color and remember more. this. Yeah, so what I used to do was I would pin all of my drive partitions and all of my physical drives, my floppy drive and my CD drive, to my taskbar. And I would replace those icons with a letter of the alphabet corresponding to the drive letter. And then I had all my drives within one-click reach, which was super convenient. <laughs> I, I do something kind of similar now. I mean, if I click the – if I open up an Explorer window in Windows 10 – then it shows me a list of all of my partitions and drives, so it's two clicks away instead of just one. But I relied on that for quite some time, and that was really handy. I, it also had an icon that was just fully transparent and had nothing, so I would uh, create spaces between those groups of icons on my taskbar by every now and then, like having a null pointer or a batch file that did nothing and use an icon that was just a fully transparent thing. So that gave it a, it wasn't just a huge row of icons. It had some structure to it. Like a spacer. All right, next on here, Printmaster. I used this. This was like a, a, a home printing greeting cards and signs application. Oh, did you use this one to try and make your father a birthday card or something? It I, came out really bad. It, well, it took me a few different tries, but yes, I did. Oh, and then they print backwards. I did that. I'll get to that. But yeah, <laughs> Printmaster on its own did a fantastic job. It was. I used to use this. Oh, yeah. That's for you. <laughs> I used to use Printmaster on my old Compact Desk Pro 8086 machine um, with a dot matrix, dot matrix printer where I had to tear the perforations off the side, the holes. I would tear those off the sides. Uh, so that was that was fun. So it was nice being able to make your own greeting cards. It would like a greeting. It would make a poster, which was the full scene, the full page. Or a greeting card. It would print something in the top left-hand corner and then upside down on the bottom right corner. And you would fold the page once and then again. And it would make this little greeting card. So we relied on that a bunch. Um, and it was kind of fun to use, too. It came with a bunch of clip arts and a few different fonts. And you could do some basic layouts. I used it uh, quite a bit. So a couple of decades later, maybe more, um, for Father's Day, I made my dad like a retro greeting card. I uh, loaded up Printmaster in DOSBox and I designed a whole card, but I couldn't quite get a mapping to work so that I could uh, link 
my Windows 8 at the time uh, print system with LPT1 in DOSBox. So I was hoping to print a PDF or something that would have made it easy, but I couldn't. So what I had to do was take screenshots of DOSBox and paste it into Word and uh, lay out my page in Word with just the screenshots, which took a few tries. I, I made some things upside down, I put some things in the wrong corner, stuff like that, but I figured it out and it did work, so that was rewarding. And then, did you ever use a home printing solution? Nope, I never did, but I had a printer. I had a, uh, an inkjet. Mm -hmm. Come here, you. And I did have a home scanner. Mm. But yeah, I never used a uh, printing solution. Okay. Next. Oh, so I, I, I'm glad that this came up now because uh, I just mentioned Vista and how much I enjoyed search and how much that changed things for me. So um, I used to watch Tech TV back when I watched TV. Tech TV was a channel. I think now it's just called G4 if it still exists, a gaming channel. Uh -huh. But Tech TV was games, and that's where like X-Play, then called Extended Play, came from with uh, Morgan Webb and, 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 and Adam Sessler. Um, but one show that I really liked was called The Screensavers with Leo Laporte and I can't remember the name of the other guy now. Shoot. Oh, that sucks. But I love that game. I love that show. It was um, it was just a TV show for like computer enthusiasts, and they talked about shareware and software and hardware. It was like a magazine, but in television show format, which was really really nice. I, it was totally up my alley, very much in tune with my interests, and it was very smart and very funny and entertaining. So they had like a shareware of the week sort of a thing, where. Um, what they would usually do, and what they did in this case, was that they would make a shareware application free for that day. They would give you a registration code so that you could use that application for free forever. Um, and then the idea being, you would through word of mouth, you would praise it to your friends, and they would buy it, and that's how the money would be made. So their shareware of the day one day was an application called Key Launch, and what that did was it added search to Windows XP. It was very much like the Vista, Windows 7, Windows 8, Windows 10 system search, but it put it into Windows XP. Um, and it really, really changed the way that I that I use my computer. It was absolutely essential to me. Um, so it added search to the, to the operating system that had a very rudimentary search system before that. So with key launch, you would press, I think it was the scroll lock key. You can map it to any key you want, but the default I think was scroll lock just because when do you use the scroll lock key on your keyboard? It's amazing they're still on keyboards. Um, you press scroll lock and a little thing pops up from the top of the screen. It like pulls down from the top of the screen and you would type in a couple of characters or however many you want and it would show you all of the things that matched that search uh, query. So you could choose what was included in the search index. Um, so I think by default it was your start menu applications. Um, you could put in the folders of your choosing, including your documents folders or whatever. And I think it would just search for the name of a file, not the contents of a file. So I really just used it for my start menu. And I used it a hundred times a day. It was so useful. I really, really loved it. Um, I loved it so much that uh, even though I had the fully functional version for free, I paid the 12 bucks or whatever just to thank the guy because it was just so transformational in the way that I used my computer. All right, next on the list, we have paint.net. You use that a bunch, don't you? Oh, yes, I love this. It's, uh, 
it's a really nice fancy version of uh, the MS Paint that's the default with any Windows operating system. It's kind of halfway between Photoshop and Paint. Yeah, so at least you can you can induce transparency. You can do some simple stuff, but it's not. But it, it the tools there are uh, advanced enough that you that you can do more than cobble a couple of images together and uh, pretend that you have. Photoshop skills. That's right. Well, which I don't, but I have some Paint.net skills. Mm -hmm. So it's great. It's freeware. I think it's Windows only. I'm pretty sure it's Windows only. Um, but I use it for all kinds of things. It does a great job of resizing images without mangling them too badly. It does a good job of like anti-aliasing and transparency and removing elements while uh, like anti-aliasing edges to keep them from looking too sharp and they blend back in with the background. It's a great tool. It has layers so that you can do things on different layers and not affect only affect one layer at a time while not without ruining the other ones or moving things around without moving the other layers. Um, oh, it's a great application. It's free. You should go get it. I use it for work all the time. I should probably learn uh, Photoshop because we own that and we get it for free at work as well. But Paint.net is just in and out so easily that I've, I rely on it much more often than I thought I would. It's a great tool. Mm -hmm. I mean, unless you're doing stuff professionally, this is a great tool just for quick stuff that you want to put together. Mm -hmm. Oh, and one thing that I really love is for pixel artists, if you zoom rather close into a bitmap of some sort, or a JPEG or whatever, it shows you the uh, in black lines, it shows you a grid of where each, each pixel goes. So that's really nice for precision work. It's a very smart tool. I love it. It, it only gets better and better. Um, likewise, similarly, Notepad++. I like this. I'm terrible at programming. I just plain suck at programming. But what's nice about this is it um, it has like a built-in compiler, so you can check. So oh, so not a compiler. A checker, I should say. It has yeah, like context highlighting based yeah, on. Yeah, context images. highlighting, and it, uh, you can uh, and if you're and if you're doing some cer certain things, you can uh, actually run it real time, and to check for errors. You can run it? What do you mean? Well, I know that if you're drafting a web page, you can now run it directly from Notepad++ and see how it looks. You can? Yeah. You can run HTML from Notepad++? I didn't know that. Yep. Wow. What, it opens up a little web browser? It opens up into a web browser of your choice. So if you want it. Oh, so that's not opening it up in Notepad++. That's just executing it with your default application. No, you open it from Notepad++. You say run in Chrome. Run in. Oh, yeah? Yeah. So you see click run. Run. Oh, launch in Firefox, launch in IE, launch in Chrome, Safari. Neat. Yeah, so if you want to uh, see how something works. That's very cool. I just discovered that when I was in my post-grad. Oh, I didn't even know that was there. This this application has a zillion features. It's a great text editor. Yeah, and it, I like the context highlighting. It's just easy to see where stuff is. Me too. It gives you uh, line numbers. If you... Um, have some kind of like a parenthetical language, like you have to open a curly brace or something and then write some code and then close the curly brace, then it groups, uh, like with indentation, it will group those, uh, those parenthetical commands together. And then there's like a little plus minus button on the side where you can click the minus button and it shrinks the whole parentheses contents down so that you can kind of see it as a subroutine instead of looking at the whole code base. It's a great application. You can download. It comes with a whole bunch of uh, libraries or for context highlighting, but you can download other ones for different languages so that it tells you if there's an error in your in your code or anything like that, or if you forget a semicolon or what have you. Very smart. 
love love Notepad plus plus. So that's another free Windows only application, as I recall. Fire FTP. We used this for several years. Oh, I remember this. We used this until Firefox upgraded to a version that was no longer compatible with Fire FTP, and mm -hmm. it took the Fire FTP guys too long to update it. So we moved on to FileZilla, the yeah. standalone client. But File Fire FTP was an extension for it still is an extension for Firefox that is a fully functional FTP uh, client. So that was really handy because most of the FTP work that we did had to do with uh, with um, editing web pages on a web server. So it was just handy to have it right inside the browser like that. You would just click a little seashell or sorry a seahorse icon and it would open up in a new tab an FTP browser. Yeah, it was a great, very competent little FTP client. Uh, Miranda IM. Mm -hmm, we good. used this for many years. An instant messaging client, also for Windows, also freeware. I believe, and it uh, it uh, was a good multi-protocol program, so you could uh, connect to multiple services at once. Yeah, that's right. So it was similar to Trillion or 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 uh, Pigeon. What was Pigeon called before? Do you remember? Oh no. Poops Blats Plus. Poops Blats Plus, sure. <laughs> <laughs> That's what Joey's name is. Um, anyway, yeah, Miranda IM. It was like a multi-protocol instant messaging client. It was very compact and square and small. It was an attractive little thing, but it was just so unobtrusive. It was very hackable. There are a million options that you could configure in terms of scripting. So if this person comes on, notify you, but not during these hours, and then use this sound, but not another sound. Mm -hmm. It was very, very configurable. We used it for quite some time. Um, I'd still be using it today. My only issue with it was that I had it installed at work and at home. And with some protocols, but not others. If somebody sent me a message at home, sometimes I would get it at work. And no, actually, I'm sorry. The issue was, um, it, it would it would always if you got a message in one place, then your full chat history would be available everywhere. If, so if you had it installed at home and at work, then your full chat history would be available both at home and at work. I like that. What got sticky was then I got internet access on my mobile phone, and there was no Miranda for a mobile phone. So if I got messages on my phone, then it wouldn't be. Uh, it wouldn't be mirrored on my home and at office. So um, it was annoying having parts of my chat history in one place but not in another. So that's why I switched to the very inferior Google Hangouts. Mm -hmm. For a while, I used Trillion. I still use Trillion. I like it, but I don't It's great. Yeah. It's great, but it's paid, and it has ads, and the it's ads, unreasonably expensive. Yeah, the ads only come up like once every three months. A lot more often than that, as I recall. It was oh, like no. every week or so. No, they never came up that often. Oh, and they're in your chat history and stuff. It really annoyed me. Um, Trillion is a terrific instant messaging client, and I believe it's for multiple operating systems. Yeah. I just didn't like the ads, and I would definitely pay 10 or 15 bucks for it for a lifetime license, but it's like $15 a year or something, or like $60 for a lifetime license, and an instant messaging client is not worth that. No, it's not. Sorry, Trillion. That's too bad. I would pay for it. I'd love to pay for it. And it's a hell of a lot better and has way more features than Hangouts. And Skype is fine, but it's very it's a very heavy client. Mm -hmm. It's a very mom client. It's a very mom client, yeah. Although a lot of our uh, listeners, uh, I think Ben and Francisco use Skype as their instant messaging application, for example, because Microsoft got rid of MSN Messenger, which a lot of people use. So Miranda is terrific, but it's kind of a relic now. 
Um, but it is a very, it used like four megabytes of RAM or something. It was so lean and so configurable. It was a terrific uh, instant messaging client. We used it for quite some time. Yeah. I had it, I had it really customized to my liking. Next on our list, what do we have? Ooh, FUBAR 2000. FUBAR 2000. I think this is Windows only again. This is a, a, a music playing application. We've gone through a lot of music players over the years. Um, Winamp is the next one on our list, and that remains good to this day, even the newest version, mm -hmm. although the old versions are good too. But FUBAR 2000 is also, it's kind of like the Miranda IM of music players. It's Fair very lean and highly customizable. Yeah, very configurable. Lots and lots of plugins that you can download. It even has like an, a built-in plugin uh, manager, which is nice for updating or installing plugins. Uh, FUBAR 2000 uses very little RAM. It has very high compatibility with all kinds of crazy file types, and you can configure things that are advanced, like the cache and the bit rate that it plays at and all kinds of stuff. Um, I, I love the UI. I love how configurable the UI is. Um, mm -hmm. There's lots and lots of plugins. I, I really went crazy with my customization. Uh, FUBAR 2000 is what finally convinced me after so many years to start using the ID3 tags, the metadata. So before that, I would just put things into folders and I would name the file whatever. So I, I would know which, which song I wanted to play by going into the folder for the artist and then the folder for the album and then double-clicking the, the song that I want to play based on the number it was or the name of it. Uh, with FUBAR 2000, it by default has three little submenus, one for genre, one for artist, and one for album. So I meticulously went through all of my albums and I configured all of my ID3 tags. Using, I believe it was... Um, I think I just used Windows. MP3, MP3 tag. MP3 tag is a good one. I don't even have that in my list. I'm going to talk about that after, after these. Okay. MP3 tag. Um... So I, I got serious. The hardest one out of all of those was the genre, deciding what genre a song belonged in. So I just kind of decided one way or another. Okay. And I made a lot of my own genres as well because I didn't like the ones that were in uh, uh, CDDB or whatever those are called now, OpenDB. Um, so I had FUBAR 2000 configured with those filters, which were really, really nice. And what I also used was... The progress bar is usually just like a slider that kind of moves from left to right as you get through a song. Yeah. Um, and, you you know, you could use it to scrub to different parts of any one song. Um, what I did was I found an add-on that changes that very simple progress bar to the waveform for a song, which was fantastic. So if you wanted to skip to the quiet part of a song, it was obvious through the waveform which the quietest part was. So that was just a really handy bit of information. Um, there was also a karaoke mode. So um, you could have the lyrics scrolling and even highlighting if uh, it would connect to these uh, lyrics websites and uh, put that into your into your playback window immediately. Mm -hmm. So you still use a lot of FUBAR 2000. Yeah. Or do you still use it as much? I, I used to use it exclusively, although I loved Windows Media Player as well because it has exceptional... It has that a great user... It has a great user interface, and it has exceptional support with metadata and filtering and stuff like that. Windows Media Player is a fantastic media player. But now that I rely on streaming music, to my surprise, that I use basically the only thing I use now is Google Play Music. But what about you? I use FUBAR, but I 
I would use a streaming service if I had some headphones to uh, plug into my phone while I was walking. Oh yeah, into your phone. Yeah, but I don't. But I don't use streaming at my desk. Oh okay. Yeah, I do. It's just so much easier. Well, yeah. I mean, how are you going to export your entire album collection? How many gigs of it to work? Oh right. So I had lots of solutions for that before. Sometimes I would send MP3s to myself at work that was happening too much. So then I set up a server called Subsonic. I remember this. Yeah, which which was a lot of fun. Subsonic. I'm going to put this one in the show notes, actually. Subsonic uh, Music Server. It's a free open source, I think it's open source, server. Um, you install it on uh, one of your computers. It might be Windows only. Um, but it uses Apache and MySQL and PHP, um, even on Windows. And it, um, it's a web-based interface. So you serve a web page, and you configure your router to um, make that port, that internal port, available externally through network address translation. And... Uh, and you, um, so you serve it, you serve, uh, the web pages externally. And then when you're somewhere else, you, uh, navigate those web pages and it shows you a list of all of the, uh, media of all of the songs that are in your directories. And it has a little embedded, uh, either flash or HTML5 player. So it's basically like using Spotify or something, but you're hosting it from your home server and you can serve it at whatever, bit rates you want based on your bandwidth and your data caps and stuff like that. So it was nice that the ISP that we use, Tech Savvy, although there are, we were using a plan that had data caps, like a monthly bandwidth cap, uploads did not count against your monthly bandwidth cap. So I used to stream 320 kilobit per second MP3s all day, every day from home to work without it consuming our bandwidth, or sorry, without consuming our cap. It still used our upload, uh, our, our upload, uh, bandwidth anyway like our whatever true but then it uh because we had only so much upload it it uh, it slowed our download yeah that's right i think it used about 40 kilobytes a second or something for 320 kilobit per second audio so that's not that's not inconsiderable but subsonic was a lot of fun to play with mm-hmm. that was a really good one did you use something else at one point besides subsonic i used another offshoot of it i forget what it was called there's Subsonic and I don't know. There's a few different like forks of Subsonic that are use, useful for different scenarios or look a little different or add more features. I used a fork of it after a while, which just gave me a little more flexibility. But then when we when I saw how convenient Google Play Music was and that I could upload my music to the cloud and then stream it from the cloud instead of from our home computer, that became preferable for everybody. Um... So the other media player, yeah, after FUBAR 2000 is, of course, Winamp. We don't have to tell anybody what Winamp is, but to this day, it's another terrific media <laughs> player. But it's still very usable today. Yeah, one of the first ones I used when I moved away from Windows Media or whatever it was in um, Windows 95. Mm-hmm. Well, if I'm not mistaken, if I'm not mistaken, Winamp had a DOS media player before that. It might have just been called AMP. And so then they made a Windows version later, which they called Winamp, which is just the newer version. But there are a few MP3 players for DOS, which was an interesting situation because DOS was not a multitasking environment. So your computer would be playing an MP3, and that's what it would be doing. They would do nothing else. So that was interesting. I think Winamp 
there might have been a Windows, I don't know, there were MP3 players for Windows 3.1 after that, which was a multitasking environment, or at least a multi-threading environment. What a strange concept that you would play music in DOS. Yeah, exactly. Even CD players. I remember it being a big deal that I found a memory residence CD player so that um, I could control my CD music. I would put a CD in the drive and I would press like control shift, control alt shift C or something, which would open my CD player, which was memory resident, taking up like 20 kilobytes of RAM. And I could control my CD player while I was doing other stuff in DOS. But back then, a CD player would often have a play button, a hardware play button on the front of the CD drive because in DOS, you could not multitask. Or you would run a command line command, like play CD, <coughs> play CD starting at track one, and then you would do some other stuff, and you couldn't control the CD while you're in your other applications. You'd have to go back to the DOS prompt and play and type stop CD or whatever like that. That was, that, those were the days. All right, MP3 tag. Yeah, this just a simple program for uh, plugging in the metadata into your MP3s and music files. And I think only so, MP3s actually. Mm-hmm. It might work with work with AUG files, but maybe not. And it doesn't work with WAV files. I think it's specifically for MP3 files, which is too bad. Mm-hmm. But yes, it's a great way of putting in all the metadata that's missing, but you know all that information, such as if you rip a CD, that's not a common one which for us is not then heard of since we both have uh, the odd uh, foreign, uh, the odd uh, CD no one's ever heard of before that happens to be uh, in our collection. Yeah, it actually has, um, you can actually have it connect to services to automatically populate the uh, metadata from a CD that you ripped. But I'm always kind of iffy on how good those are. I usually... Sorry, I'm just updating my MP3 tag as we speak. I usually um, use that stuff and then I double check it because there are so often typos and other crapola. Of course, I me too. I like I use it just to get just to make it easier and then I check it myself. Mm-hmm. It's easier to check for typos than it to manually plug in everything. Sometimes, yes. So it's a very good little tool. It's just a data entry tool, mm-hmm. and it has some more advanced tools like you can. You can have it look at the file name and then automatically break the file name into individual variables, which you can assign then to uh, ID3 tags. So, for instance, it could be like track number dot space track name space dash space uh, artist name dot mp3. And so you can break that up into individual variables, which will automatically populate those fields in the ID3 tag. That's really handy. Or you can highlight a, a bunch of files and say number these sequentially from 7 to 14. That's really handy too. What I also like is that it has support for uh, album art. And you can even put in different types of album art. Like uh, there's like the, the front cover, the back cover. There's the liner notes. You can embed multiple images into one mp3 file which is really handy but just be careful because sometimes uh, a high resolution cover art image can be larger than the song itself so you can really bloat the size of your mp3s if you're not careful but uh mp3 tag we use that for the podcast that's a it's a really handy little uh tagging application i like it a lot all right what's next um, let's see. Oh, Ultimate Hint, hint System. I vaguely heard you talk about this, but I'm not sure entirely what it was for. Oh, I love Ultimate Hint System, except that it was shareware. Mm. So I cracked it, and I think everybody cracked it. 
because it was kind of unreasonably priced. But Ultimate Hint System was kind of the electronic version of the Sierra Hint books, where um, it would give you hints for a game, usually a linear story-based adventure game, and it would kind of give you a question, and then it would have a little window with the, the with a button to reveal the contents of that window. So it would sometimes ask ask little incremental questions that would slowly reveal to you the answer, like or the hint for the scenario you were in. So it would be like a first it would give you a general hint, and then a slightly more suggestive hint, and then a much more suggestive hint, and then it would tell you literally what to do, and it would take you those multiple clicks to get to the answer that you wanted. And it had support for a good couple hundred games or maybe more. Um, it was really good, but as I recall, it was an annual subscription. To uh, You couldn't just buy the game. You had to buy it. You had to subscribe to it for one or two or three years. So that was very undesirable. What a shame that they used that model. Um, I wonder if it still exists. They had it on the web for a while. Universal Hint System. UHS-Hints.com. Wow, and the website looks exactly as it has for many years. They say here, 1998 to 2016. So I don't think this website has changed since 1998. Wow. So that site looks exactly the same as the, last t as the first time I saw it. Yes, it does. So it's very good. And they seem to be uh, keeping it up with... Uh, they even have, like, Oblivion and Skyrim on here. They have a vampire story. They have pretty recent games on here. Tesla Effect. So that's cool that they're continuing with it. I just... Uh, let me see if I can find their pricing information. Um, buy? Buy a UHS reader. Uh, I see. So it's $15, buys you a UHS reader and one year of free updates. Or $25 is three years of free updates. Whatever that means, free. It costs more to get one than the other, so presumably the updates are not free. Anyway, that's a shame. It's a shame that you have to keep subscribing to it. It seems a little greedy to me. Oh, well, it's a good application anyway. I did rely on it for quite a while. It's amazing to think that someone would pay for a walkthrough in this day and age. So I'm very surprised that they haven't changed that pricing model. I'd love to pay for it retroactively. I guess I still could. Maybe I will. Oh, here's one that we can both talk about, dear. Okay. WinMX. Oh, yes. That was the first torrent downloader thingy mababa that I ever used. <laughs> oh, yeah. So it wasn't, uh, it wasn't torrent, but it was peer-to-peer. -peer. Yeah. The first witch my con. I got shares in this witch my call, and I want my say. It's <laughs> <laughs> Kajigger. It's Kajigger here. <laughs> All right. Do you want to explain what WinMX is? It was a peer-to-peer -peer, uh, application where you would go into almost like server types of like little rooms where people would have these files, and you could click on people and see what they had and then download from your peers. Yeah, so you would publish a list of all the files that you had. It was a searchable list, and so mm -hmm. someone would connect to you personally, and then you could download what that person had, or you could search from the list and then download different copies from the list. And it was just like a, a file-sharing network with dubi lots of dubious quality and lots of rare stuff and all the best and all the worst things about a file-sharing network that was like a Napster-style application. So WinMX was a really good one. It, all I remember, it was I had a black background and colorful text. <laughs> oh, I had the white default background. I didn't configure the colors in that one. I configured the text. Oh, I got so much anime and, and anime music off of there. Oh, yeah. It was a good one. That was in the days of, like, E-Donkey and stuff like that. Did you use, oh, uh, use E-Donkey or E-Mule? Yes. 
I don't know if those are still networks that are being used, but those were popular for a long time. Yeah, too. those were popular just after WinMX was starting to wind down. Yeah, so WinMX was specifically for media, whereas eDonkey and Emil were also for software. Mm -hmm. um, Audio Galaxy. I'll speak briefly about this. Before WinMX and maybe even before Napster was Audio Galaxy, which was a very short-lived file-sharing network that was web-driven. So you would download a little client, you go to a website, you would search the website for music or something like that, and uh, it would just download it with a little web client. It was very streamlined and very easy to use and very illegal, used for very illegal things, and it didn't last all that long, but while it was active, it was a very, very effective uh, file-sharing service. I used that a lot in the, in the late 90s to find like early to mid nineties, uh, rave mixtapes. That was one of the first ways that rave mixtapes were proliferated in like a non-physical way. So that was really important to me. All right. So we've just got a few more here. Um, before we get away from the file sharing stuff, I have another one on here called waste. Oh. That was also made by Nullsoft who made Winamp. Nullsoft was so named because they were a smaller quote unquote, they were a smaller, num a smaller company than Microsoft. So if it's smaller than micro, it must be null. So they called it Nullsoft. That's a cute name. Um, Waste was a great peer-to-peer -peer file sharing application. You, I believe, needed to have the IP address of the individual that you wanted to connect to. So it was just one peer to one peer. It didn't have a search engine or anything like that. But you would share a bunch of folders on your hard drive. And then you and your friend would both connect via Waste using the TCP ports. Or I guess, I don't know if it was TCP or UDP ports. I'm Okay, don't scold the bird. Don't scold the bird on the podcast. <laughs> um, so um, I'm scolding you because I know what you're doing. Okay. <laughs> so yeah, you would browse the other person's shared directories, and you could download the files uh, manually using the Waste file sharing service. It was a very nice, uh, easy to use little client. What was noteworthy about Waste was that not only could you encrypt your traffic, but you could also while there were no files being transmitted, you could have it send a whole bunch of garbage data. So it was never clear when there was a pause or when you were downloading a file. So if somebody was like wire sniffing, um, trying to and, and uh, wanted to capture all your packets with the intention of decrypting it later, they didn't know what was legitimate traffic and what was just line noise. So that was a very unique feature. Mm, that's interesting. I wonder, do any of the uh, newer Torn services offer that? Because that would be no, they don't. They do they do file encryption or they do uh, transfer protocol encryption, but they don't do garbage data like that. It was very wasteful. So, like, if you had a hundred megabit uh, Ethernet connection, it would saturate that with a hundred megabits of garbage. So, uh, so that was like megabytes of fake data per second. It was like 8 megabytes of fake data per second, or like 12 megabytes of fake data per second. So that's a lot of bandwidth. You couldn't do that on a torrent network because that would really flood the internet with crap. But it was good if you really wanted to cover your tracks. All right. Last couple of ones here. Um, ICQ. Did you use ICQ back in the day? Yep. Did we talk on ICQ ever? I think we knew each other after that. Yeah, I think that was after that because I lost my number. Mm, I still have my number. 620880. Sub 1 million... Code. Friggin' old co-host Chris. Hi, Chris. He had a lower fucking ICQ UIN than I did, and I was very jealous of that. His was, like, significantly lower. <laughs> so he had serious nerd cred for that one. Man, 
Um, ICQ was great. It was the first instant messenger that pretty much anybody ever used. Yep. It was like a little Israeli. Uh, it was made by a couple of Israeli guys, and it got them like hundreds of million dollars from AOL or something. They did very well for themselves. That was a brilliant application. Yes, it and was. Still being used to this day, amazingly. They have uh, mobile applications and everything. Hmm. So good for them. Um, WordPerfect. Do you use WordPerfect? You did. Yep. I used it in the DOS days and for a while in the Windows days, and I was sad to give it up for Word, but nobody used WordPerfect. Everybody used Word. Uh-huh. But WordPerfect was great. I used to use it in DOS with uh, like a keyboard template that you would put this little cardboard card on top of your function keys, and it told you what all the function keys did or all those keyboard shortcuts. Mm-hmm. I, I remember it. that from my uh, parents' uh, workplace. They had this. Or at least I know my dad did. Mm-hmm. So I got... So he used to see a couple times he would take me to my to his office where he had to go run some errands, but I, so he would like pop me in front of the computer and let me do whatever I wanted. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I wrote on the computer. Oh great! Oh, you're such a nerd. I love you. <laughs> like I'm, gonna, I'm gonna write some fiction. I like playing with that stuff too. Mm-hmm. That was fun. Word Perfect was great. It did the job. Before that, I used one called WordStar 2000, which had fewer features, but it was good enough that. We, as early computer adopters in the mid to late 80s, were asked, we volunteered to type up my school's whole yearbook because the school didn't have a computer, but we did. <laughs> Isn't that funny? That's weird. We were nothing special. I was just a student, but we were early computer adopters, so we, t- we volunteered to take all the handwritten pages of the yearbook and type them into pages. Wow. That was really something. That was a lot of responsibility for me. I was like, I don't know, I was like seven or eight years old or something, 10 years old. That was very cool. Yes, um, it is. Oh, and so um, one one of uh, in the in the waning months of uh, WordPerfect before I switched permanently to Word, one of the features that I loved in WordPerfect that Word did not have was that it had a fit to page button, which is really neat. It would automatically adjust the margins, the line spacing, and the font size to make your document take up the specified number of pages which was awesome. So if you had a document that was like two lines too long to fit on a single page, you would click one button, it would make small adjustments, and poof, it fit on one page. Oh, that's so brilliant. I missed that. That was a very useful button. Because, I mean, who the hell wants one one or two fucking sentences on another page when they could, when you know, oh, here, I'll make it size 12. Uh Uh-oh, now I have half a page of space. Oh, but 14. Here, have two pages now. Mm -hmm. But there's no size 13 in the middle. That's right. So it was very, very smart. It was a great idea. All right. Uh, last two. <laughs> Nero Burning ROM. Did you use this one? Yes. When I got my first CD burner Everybody in had Nero. 1997. Wow. I don't remember what I used to burn first, but this was a very good application. It was very competent. It had a good UI. It was just for sale. So I remember the free version getting less and less useful. I got mine with I got that cop I got that software with my uh, CD burner. So did I, but I think it had some like light version, which didn't have all the features of the full version, as I recall. It was good enough. I used it for a while. And then I used one called CD Burn XP, which is still a competent CD burning application despite the antiquated name. Mm-hmm. It was a freeware one for Windows. I can't even tell you all the different CD burning applications I use, but Nero Burning ROM was always a very very good one. All right, and our very last one that I have on the list is DOS Edit. 
That is just the edit.com command that came with, I think, DOS 5. Mm. Before that, you had to use a line editor like Edlin. And there's another one. I don't remember what it was. So if you had a text file, you would have to say, edit line number 14 of this text file. And you would modify line 14 of the text file, then you would press enter or whatever, and it, it would that line was modified. So you can you didn't have a text file in front of you where you could use the arrow keys to navigate around the text file. You had to actually say, this is the text file I want to edit. Then you would press right, 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 right to get to the word you wanted to edit, and you would insert the one character that you forgot. It was a real bitch. Uh, so edit.com. It sounds almost as painful as using a typewriter. It, very, it was very similar to using a typewriter. It was just it had to do with memory restrictions and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So I was thrilled when edit.com came around. It was also a nice... Uh, that was also when uh, GW Basic came around instead of having to use Basic A. Because Basic A was similar. You would say, you would have to rewrite, you know, line 10 or line 50 instead of just using your arrows to scroll around. So GW Basic used that same application, that same engine, so that you could uh, move the cursor around and make edits graphically. I like that. I know we're forgetting a bunch of stuff. But I think that's a, probably a good place for us to call it. Yeah, I can't remember half the stuff that I've used. That was really awesome. And then, and then the stuff I put on this list, I'm going, why did I like it in the first place? I know it was cool. Mm-hmm. So, guys, what applications do you like? Or what, what applications have you used in the past? We'd love to hear DOS, Windows, Mac, Linux, what have you. Any of that stuff. Spectrum. Any app, any any platforms you can think of. What are some uh, computer applications that you relied on and that... Uh, perform tasks that you didn't even know needed to be done. Um, please let us know. Yep. We thank you very much for listening to us as always. I missed you. It's great to be talking to you guys again. I hope you had a good couple of weeks. I'm glad that I don't have to work for a couple of weeks. So. Oh, and uh, this was episode number 70. I think we forgot to mention that at the beginning. Oh, episode number 70. I can't believe I missed episode 69. You get to 69 by yourself. There's nothing sadder than that. <laughs> 70. Man... Episode sixty nine is a once in a lifetime opportunity, and I missed it. Now we gotta, now we gotta make a new podcast and record sixty nine episodes. It's simple. We record sixty nine. We record sixty nine one minute episodes, and then we just take whatever voicemails trolls have sent us and break it into sixty nine episodes, and go. Here's five. Here's fifty five seconds of trolls talking about a whole bunch of nothing. Oh yeah. Put together these uh, sixty nine episodes to figure out what he wants. That's true. Hi trolls. <laughs> All right, guys. So, um, I'll read it this time. Okay. All right, so if you want to reach us on the web, we're squarefm.demodulated.com. Beep. Email squarefm at demodulated.com. Beep. Beep, beep. And on Twitter, we are at squarewavesfm. Love to hear from you. Beep. Beep. We love to hear your beeps. Say beep, dear. Beep, dear. Beep, beep. All right, have a good one, guys. Love you. Talk to you next week. Bye. Oh, and P.S. We did not publish... Uh, our uh, copy of our chat with Joe Mastriani about the Warcraft movie. So we'll put a link to the show notes. Uh, you can download it from his website. Uh, we retweeted it on Twitter. We retweeted uh, it, but I'll put it in the show notes too. Yeah. Okay, bye. Meh. Beep. Beep. <laughs>